Give him a round of applause. I also kind of want to take a moment, you know, the sound went a little wacko just a minute or two ago, and I've worked sound, and I know how that is. You can do everything and have everything right, and it doesn't work, but I just wanted to take a moment to recognize our, our sound and video crew up there, because there's some guys up there that never get any attention. They're behind the scenes. They're making videos so that we can have it online. They're doing the sound. They're putting the words up on the screen, and so let's give them a round of applause. I'm going to knock something over, I'm just telling you. And these are sharp. In, in one of my seminary classes way back, we had to, to write a letter to a friend or a family member who either wasn't a Christian or a person that we felt maybe was weak in their faith. And I wrote my letter to a guy that we'll just call his name Tom. And I began my letter to Tom writing of our friendship. And, and this is just a few of the things I wrote. I said, Tom, it's amazing to realize that you and I have been friends for most of our lives. You and I go back to the days of you giving me the name Tank as I played basketball as a freshman in high school. You see, I was kind of big and I just kind of ran into people and ran over people. Not supposed to do that in basketball. I went on and I said, I remember playing miniature golf on weeknights during the se our senior year of high school. And of course, that was possible because we had both taken a relatively light class load. I have so many great memories from that, those days. In those teenage years, the night didn't seem complete without a trip to a popular burger place. And I laugh when I recall how we would order a medium Coke and fries for about 90 cents. And then our group would hang out for a couple hours or however long it was before the rent-a-cop told us it was time to leave. It seemed like those days would last forever, but they didn't. As my letter continued, I shared with my friend Tom how I admired him. He was a good husband, a loving father. He was a guy who was climbing the corporate ladder of success. And then about midway through this letter, I reminded Tom that he told me he didn't think he needed to go to church. And at that point, I challenged Tom. And this is what I wrote. I said, Tom, just like our old friends, the people in a church are not perfect. That being said, a church is a place to grow in faith, to share, to enjoy others, and to help each other. A church needs to be a place where you will fit, where you know that you belong. It has to be a place where people really care about you. And then I added, I said, of course, there's much more to it with church than just friendships. When you consider, Tom, the churches that you might want to go to, you have to start by looking at their theology, their practices, and what that particular church has to say about Jesus Christ. And then I closed my little letter with these words of encouragement. I said, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're adopted into God's family. God becomes your perfect father. He is a loving father who will help guide you and will still love you even as you continue to mess things up. God is dedicated to you. He loves you more than you can ever comprehend. He wants what's best for you. You can tell him those secrets that you would never share with anyone. You can tell him of your joys and what scares you. And he'll listen. 
He won't condemn you. He will guide you. And he will become the top priority of your life. Well, part of that assignment in that class was to actually mail the letter or send an email or whatever. And so I mailed my letter to Tom. I was kind of surprised when I found out a few weeks later he read it. And later on, we talked about his faith and we talked about church in general. And Tom assured me, he said his faith in Jesus was strong, but he still wasn't interested in church. And many, many years later, I can still say Tom has never become a regular church attending person. And I hope that letter would have made a difference. I prayed Tom would join a church. In fact, deep down, I hoped that one day maybe Tom and I would go to church together. I did my best, but I couldn't control the results. This morning, we're finishing a a biblical letter with a few similarities to what I wrote to my friend Tom. If you've been with us the past few months, you know we've been working through a message series that that we titled Together. And it's based on Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. See, Paul sought to leave a a legacy for Christ. He hoped God would use him to to change the Corinthian church. And his words to this church had provided so much valuable information over the years and guidance and inspiration. And yet we don't really know exactly what effect Paul's letter had on the church at Corinth. Just as a quick review, in case you don't remember, these are some of the things we talked about, Corinth, in our first message in this series. See, this church was planted by Paul and by Priscilla and Aquila. And it was a church that Paul cared about deeply, probably because he planted them. And he wrote to them to help them grow in Christ. Now, the Corinthian church wasn't a bad church, but they're like all churches. They, they had some serious issues. And one of the big issues they had in this church is that they were divided. And it shows you how some things never change. Division is something that so many churches have faced and so many churches are going to continue to face. But Corinth had other issues as well. They included divisions over preachers. There were some favorite preachers and some who weren't favorites. They had problems with sexual immorality, problems with marriage and and how to conduct corporate worship when the church was together. And many of their problems stemmed from arrogance and a spirit of one-upmanship. And so Paul called the Corinthians to work together to help build up the faith of those who were weak and to effectively share the gospel with unbelievers. Paul encouraged and he challenged And I tried to do the same thing with that letter I wrote to Tom. But Paul's letter not only came from his heart, but unlike my letter, Paul's letter was inspired by the Holy Spirit, which means it was true, 100% true. In part of Paul's letter, which we just heard read, verses 13 and 14 seem to stand out. They kind of provide a summary of what Paul's message was to the Corinthian church and to us as individuals and the church in 2022. In those verses, Paul wrote this. He said, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, 
and let all that you do be done in love. Paul said to be watchful. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5.8, he said, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, ready to devour someone. We're supposed to watch out for the devil. And one of the greatest mistakes Christians can make is to deny the reality of the devil. The devil's real. And he wants to mess with you. Now, he can't destroy a true Christian, but you know what? He can derail us. He can make us less effective. He can make us miserable. You know, the fact is, is you only have to look at the church in America to see what the devil can do when people are not watchful. Some of you were around in the 1950s and the 1960s, and back then it seemed like everybody went to church. It was what you did. On Sunday, stores were closed, businesses were closed. Sundays were a day that was set aside for church and family gatherings. You could say back then that it was a great, great time for Christianity, and maybe it was, but you know what? I am not so sure. Because I think what happened in America with that is people got lazy in their faith. Many churches became social centers. They became country clubs where you met with your friends and you made plans for next week. They kind of forgot Christ in the equation. They weren't being watchful. And guess what happened? The devil moved in. Many churches and many people forgot the Bible. They went with the flow of culture. They denied the word of God and they followed the gods of this culture. And some of these churches not only bent the truth, they abandoned it in so many areas, including sexuality, the, the basic reality of who Jesus is, and the authority of God's word. And sadly, as a result, so many people have been led astray. Like our culture, they've exchanged the truth for a lie. And those lies lead to destruction. And so we're watchful. And being watchful also means, though, that we test. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10, 16, he said, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he said, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22 states, Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And then finally, in 1 John 4, 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test what I or any pastor says from the pulpit. Test what the culture tells you. Don't accept as true what makes you feel good or makes people like you. Test it all against the word of God. And the Bible is God's word. Teens, there's some teens up in the choir lift this morning. You know, our world tells you guys a whole bunch of garbage. I'm going to be honest, they want to brainwash you in the way you think. Don't let them do it. 
Test what you're told in school. Test what you're told by your friends. Measure it against the Bible. God shows us how to live. It isn't always easy. It often goes against the flow of what our friends are doing. But the Bible is true. It's trustworthy. And the Bible teaches us the best way to live. And so test, teens, adults, all of us, test. And if something doesn't agree with Jesus' teachings, don't do it. It's that simple. Paul also turned, told the Philippians to stand firm in the faith. In Philippians, or the Corinthians to stand firm in the faith. In Philippians 4.1, Paul wrote this. He said, stand firm in the Lord. In 2 Thessalonians 2.15, he said, so then brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings that we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or letter. Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, he said, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We stand. And to stand requires that we stay connected to Jesus. You know, in my backyard, I've got a, a couple large ash trees. And recently, some of those branches on that tree have begun to break off, and they're just hanging there. Some of them are dead, and some of them still look alive, but they're going to be dead soon. And what happened is those branches lost their connection to the main tree. The, the supply of food and water was disrupted. The branch was weakened, and eventually a strong wind broke it off. See, in order for us to stand firm, we must stay connected. And we stay connected by one of the things you were all doing this morning. Coming to church. We go to our Connect Adult Sunday classes. We join a community group. We come to the Wednesday Lunch Bunch. We're part of our prayer team. We read devotionals. We read the Bible. Those are all critical. Those are all essential to our faith. But the fact is, is that we can do all those things. We can look like, man, we are perfect. We got it all down. But it's no guarantee that you and I will stay connected to Jesus. But not doing those things, not doing those things makes it really tough to grow in your faith. Just the simple act of coming to church on a Sunday morning serves to help keep us connected to each other and to Christ. Standing firm in the faith requires that we stay connected to Jesus. Paul's next words in our verse were to act like men. Now, as I go through this, this challenge can also be directed to women but if you know me, this is what I always do. I'm always going to give it to the guys because I'm a guy and I know how we think. And I've said this many times before, but I keep saying it because it's true. Some men are knuckleheads. They fail to be men. They fail to grow up. They're still little boys. They don't act like men. They don't take responsibility. They don't lead their family in the faith. They don't step up. They let their wife, their mom, or their daughter, or other women in their life be the spiritual leaders in the family. And you know, women, you can certainly lead, and many of you do lead your families, and that's awesome. But that doesn't excuse the guys from doing what God has called us to do. We're supposed to lead our families. 
Guys that don't do that are passive. They're weak. They're babies. And now the fact is, guys, some of you might be feeling a little guilty, and maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. But for the most part, I'm not talking about the men and the teen guys that are here today, because you know what? You're here. And that in itself shows leadership. Because coming to church in our culture today isn't something that people just do. You know, the, the fact of the, the matter is the Bible is filled with a bunch of knuckleheads. One of my favorites is Peter. You know, Peter could be bold. Peter got out of that boat. He stepped on the, and walked on the water. Peter declared that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter said that he would never deny Jesus, even if it meant that he had to die for him. Of course, if you know anything about Peter, you know that he failed. He failed a lot. He took his eyes off Jesus after he got out of that boat and immediately started to sink, and he had to cry out for help. Right after he called Jesus the Son of God, he tried to stop Jesus from completing the mission that God had given him. And of course, he denied knowing Jesus three times. But Peter didn't check out. You know, Peter could have very, very easily been like Judas Iscariot and just quit and hung himself after he failed. But instead, Peter stayed with the disciples. Even though they were scared out of their wits, he stayed with them, and he was there for Jesus to forgive him. And after Jesus reinstated Peter, he got right back in the game. He became a leader in the early church. He preached that message that resulted in 3,000 people com coming to Christ. And that's because Peter never gave up. He acted like a man. He acted like the man God called him to be. He stayed in the game. And guess what, guys? Guess what, women? We can be like Peter in that regard. You know, one of my Peter-like things that I do that I like to say is I'll, I'll say something like, well, I'd never do that. And when I say that, I, I'm being totally sincere. I really don't want to do or say whatever I said that I'd never do. But of course, God has a way of humbling us, and every time that happens, I almost always do exactly what I said I wouldn't do, or I say exactly what I said I wouldn't say. Sometimes it might take a whole day for it to happen. Other times it might take an hour. But it happens. And as soon as it happens, I regret it. But thanks be to God, he forgives knuckleheads like you and like me. To act like a man of God or a woman of God is to never give up. Never. We know Christ is for us. We realize if God calls us to do something, he's going to help us get it done. It may take time. It may look a little different than we expected. But if he calls and we're faithful, it's going to happen. See, to not give up is a sign of strength. Paul called the Corinthians and us to be strong. In Joshua 1.9, it says, God says this, he says, or it says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We are to grow strong. You know, a few weeks back, Betty M. had a post on Facebook which speaks to the idea of growing stronger. It says, 
I want to lose weight, but I don't want to get caught up in one of those eat right exercise scams. And I love that. But the fact is, losing weight, inches, or just being fit requires growing in strength. And unfortunately, very unfortunately, it does require eating right and exercising. But the fact is, it also requires a lot of effort, some pain, discipline, and even the occasional tear. Our marketing person, Amber, and I have been doing a burn zone class at the gym. It's 60 minutes of hell. And I'm talking about biblical hell here. I'm the only guy in the class most of the time. And when I first walked into the class, I figured, you know, Amber was going. I did it because she was going. I thought, you know, this is some kind of sissy girly class. You know, I'll go in there. You know, I'll be fine. Well, that lasted about the first five minutes. Then I realized that most guys wouldn't take this class because it would kick their butt. I have to admit, I do still feel a bit out of place, but the thing about it is, is that it's getting easier. I'm getting stronger. I, I feel I've been going to the gym for years, but this class is making me more fit. Last week we were in, in Colorado with our son Adam and daughter-in-law Ruth, and Adam said something about growing in strength that really stuck with me. He said this, he said, if you want to do hard stuff, you have to do hard stuff. If you want to do hard stuff, you got to do hard stuff. And it's the same with our faith. If you want to grow in your faith, you have to put your faith into practice. If you want to grow in your faith, you got to do the hard things like putting your faith into practice. But at the same time, though, we remember Paul's words in Philippians 4.13. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We put our faith into practice every day, realizing that the strength behind that faith comes from the Lord. And so what do we do? We, we invite people to church. We welcome change while we hold on to the truth. We speak up. We give of our time, our talent, and our money, even at those times where we really don't want to do that. We love. We're bold. We go wherever it is we believe God has called us to go. We desire to do hard stuff for the Lord, so we do hard stuff for the Lord. We put our faith into practice. And then finally, Paul finished out these two verses by saying, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. But the big question is, when it comes down to the things we do, what's our motivation? For many, their motivation is pride, attention, social status, a feeling of maybe superiority, or maybe arrogance, or even selfishness. But instead, whatever we do, we're motivated by love. Love should be the driving force in everything we say and do. Next week, we're going to begin a short message series titled, Summer Lovin'. We're going to be talking about God's love for us, and our love for Jesus, and our love for each other. 
When it comes to love, Paul said it very well in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then he closed that chapter by writing this. He says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. I mentioned it earlier, but unless you've been in a cave, you heard that last Friday the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. Now the fact of the matter is it didn't outlaw abortion, it just left it up to the individual states. And some pro-choice people went nuts. They claimed the ruling was against women. Sadly, they forgot that half the babies killed by abortion are women. So how can a court decision that protects women in the womb be against women? Doesn't make sense. The saying, my body, my choice, forgets that the baby living inside that woman may rely on her for life, but it isn't her body. She is a separate human being. It's true that a, a baby can't survive without the mom. And so people say, so it's the woman's choice whether that child lives or dies. And it seems like a decent argument, but it fails. I would ask what newborn baby can survive without the care of her mom or other person. And so does that mean they have no rights? I just want to share a short summary of what the Evangelical Free Church, to which we belong, stated in response to the Supreme Court ruling. They said this, all human life at whatever stage of development, from conception to death, at whatever socioeconomic status, and at whatever level of physical or intellectual capability, is sacred. Because all human beings were created in God's image. Even when this image has been corrupted by our sin, every human being is still worthy of honor and respect. There's nothing more valuable in all of creation than a human life. God created life. All life to him is sacred. And I bring that up because it's easy to get angry. It's easy to hate the people that think abortion is health care. But that won't accomplish a thing. Instead, we stand on the truth and we do it in love. Meeting hate with hate rarely ever changes a person's mind. Meeting hate with the love of Christ can actually be used by God to change hearts. Love is our motivation. We respond to God's love for us by responding to the hate of the world with love. Jesus died for a bunch of sinners who rebelled against him. He asked for forgiveness from the very people that nailed him to the cross. We too are to love those who reject God in the hopes that one day that we might win them for Christ. And that's the legacy that as Christians, we're called to leave. 
It's an eternal legacy. As individuals, you and I, we test everything. We stay connected to Jesus. We put our faith into practice. We never, ever, ever give up. And we always let, the, let love be the motivation for everything we do. We realize we need the church because you know what? We're better together. And we work for the cause of Christ. I want to share as a final thought something that a friend told me recently. He said this, the greatest legacy you can leave is the legacy of Christ in this world. Let me say that again so you can think about it. The greatest legacy that you can leave is the legacy of Christ in this world. You see, that legacy is making a difference in the name of Jesus Christ. As Bethesda Church, we build Christ's legacy together. Amen. This time I'll have the worship team come up to lead us in our closing song.